good morning to you, Rock Hill. If you're joining us online, welcome to you as well. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 5. We're going to be looking at just that one verse. And while you're turning there, I just want to take a point of personal privilege. And there's just a couple of things that I want to let you know about on our end. You know, we made this decision to just do two services today because you didn't know this, but about 10 minutes or 15 minutes before we actually went live with that decision, we finally got water on our campus. So we didn't want you to be on campus without any water. You can imagine why. So we're glad that we were able to do these two services together. Next week, we're back to our normal schedule, 8 a.m., 9.30, 11. We hope you can join us in person or online. Now, a couple of things just to let you know about as well. Easter is almost just a little over 40 days away. Last Easter, we didn't even gather in person. Remember that? That seemed, I mean, COVID's gone now, so we're, we're, uh, we're ready to move forward. I'm kidding. But 40 days from now, starting on Tuesday, here's what I'm inviting you to as a church. We're going to have online, if you go to rockhillbc.com slash raised, you can find a handout, a 40 days of prayer. If there's anything that I believe the church needs to be doing during this season, it is to be praying and even praying together. And so starting on Tuesday night in here at 6 p.m., we're going to be having church prayer gathering. Now, I know some of you go, well, hey, I've got these different events happening on. I, I get it. Our own family is trying to juggle uh, kids at different places during even that time. And I know there's basketball going on. Those kinds of things are serious and they happen. However, what I'm, what I'm gathering, what I'm inviting us to is that on Tuesdays at 6 p.m., we'll be here about an hour. We're going to pray. We're going to sing together. There's going to be some specific things we're praying about. But if you cannot come on Tuesday evenings, you can participate with this online guide, it's 40 days. So every day, starting on Tuesday, you can pray for something specific. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. We're gonna try to help you pray about some specific things and it covers a wide variety of things. I'm just telling you, Easter is a significant moment in the life of the church and we get to celebrate it as Baptists every week. However, we do know that it's an important time for us. All right, now second, second announcement. Um, we have a special uh, event happening. Uh, you didn't, don't know this, but there's a, lady in, a young lady in our church named Carol Yarber. Uh, yeah, you, okay, you can clap. That's all right. She's, she's so mad at me right now. I'm going to look over here, okay, because the darts from her eyes. Carol doesn't want any PR for this. I'm, I've initiated this. We're, we're our, our convention every year gives an award to somebody who is known as somebody who helps win people to Jesus. And for the first time in the history of the SBTC, they're giving it to a female. <laughs> Significant. And she just so happens to be just a member of this church. And she's not asking this for fanfare. She didn't ask me to say any of these things. But Miss Carol Yarber is a soul winner. And we know that Jesus ultimately wins souls but Paul even talks about how he aims to win the souls of others. She's challenged me in my personal faith, my evangelism. She challenged my, my kids, my wife. She challenges our church. And so I want you to know that there's just somebody from our church that's going to be recognized by the entire state convention who leads others to Jesus. I would love for every person in this room to be in this picture be known as somebody who's a soul winner. Now, again, we know that Jesus saves, we don't, we don't save people, Jesus saves people, but he sends us out, he deploys us out to share the good news. How will they know 
unless we are sent. And how will they know unless somebody proclaims the good news to them? So evangelism isn't left to, to just a, a few who are paid to do it. Because you run into lost, more lost people than I ever will in a single day. But I'm just grateful for Ms. Carol Yarber. So can we just say thank you to Ms. Carol Yarber and her ministry so many? Now, if you know anything about Mr. Ronnie, Miss Carol, Mr. Ronnie is much taller than her, but Miss Carol casts a better shadow than he does. <laughs> we love you two very much. Now, lastly, lastly, uh, next Sunday night is our ordination service. We had to delay last month because of snow. Now, I'm, I'm like, whoever's got to sacrifice an animal, let's sacrifice it, okay? I don't want any more snow, all right? But next Sunday night, we're inviting you as a church family. This is a church family event to be part of the ordination service for Jamie Riddles and Wayne Heaton. This is an important moment for us as a church to be able to pray over and, and empower and really help it be known their call to ministry. And I hope you can come join us on Sunday night. 5 p.m. in here. Now, if you are an ordained, you've been contacted, you know you're, what you're going to be doing on that evening, but we hope you can come. It'll be a time together to celebrate what God has done and hear how God is at work. Now, we love you, Rock Hill. I hope you're at your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We've been in a series on the Beatitudes. We've been in a series on the Beatitudes, and it's fitting for us to be at this Beatitude today. Now, if you have time, you should read Matthew 5 through 7 because that's really the whole entire sermon. We're picking a verse out of a sermon from Jesus. But this begins the introduction. The Beatitudes are really the introduction to the, the entire Sermon on the Mount. And it's in this introduction that in these eight statements, Jesus is truly laying out for us salvation statements. So we discussed this last week, but or two weeks ago, to, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for the kingdom of God is, our kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. These are salvific statements, and we'll talk about more of that in a second. But the point here is that what Jesus presents to the listeners and subsequently to us is counter to what we thought. You see, in those days, people loved to show off how religious they were. They love to display their righteousness to others, and they told everybody how righteous they were. I've been clean for so many days, or I've not sinned at all in so many days, and here Jesus turns everything up on its head. That's what he likes to do. And so here we have where Jesus begins to make these statements, and it's counter, it's counter to what everybody in the religious department thought was the way of Jesus. If we're careful, we might come to a place where we say, well, I'll do it my way and you do it your way. I don't want to do it my way. And I don't want you to do it your way. I want to do it Jesus' way. So when anybody says to me, and they've said it to me this week, you do you and, and I'll do me. I don't want to do me. I don't want you to do you. I want to do it the Jesus way. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be at Matthew chapter 5. We're just looking at one verse today, verse 5. 
And if you're there, you can type it online, but if you're there, will you say word? Blessed are the humble, or as some translations say, meek. Some translations say gentle. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the the meek. These are words that if I read this in my flesh, I read, blessed are the wimpy. Blessed are the overrun. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are those who don't have it together. That's what I read when I read it in my flesh. You see, in those days, humility was not seen, or I mean, meekness were not seen as quality or characteristics of somebody that you wanted to be around. You, you wanted to be around those that were confident, those that were powerful, those that were in control. Humility or meekness was to some a sign of weakness. Blessed are the weak, blessed are the wimpy, blessed are the scared, blessed are the humiliated. That's what I will read when I read it in my flesh. And then he says, they'll inherit the earth. Can I just put it out there just for a second and we'll deal with this in a minute. Do I really want this earth as an inheritance? I mean, all the things going on in the world, I don't want this place. Like if I'm reading this, having had a loved one die and I'm reading, okay, what's my inheritance? And I'm hoping they left me a, some money or maybe a picture, but it says I'm leaving you the earth. Hard pass. You can keep it. I don't want it. Put it on eBay for sale. My inheritance. What is your inheritance? The earth. I don't want it. Right? But this is why we at Rock Hill like to work verse by verse through books of the Bible because if we're not careful, we'll read that and read it in our flesh and go, well, I don't want anything to do with that without understanding what Jesus is actually saying in the text. And so we want to be in the text, understand what's in the text so that we can apply the text and then therefore live out the application of the text. So we got to unpack what Jesus is saying here, which is what we've done week in and week out. So the first question we ask ourselves is, what does Jesus mean, or what does it mean to be humble, or what does it mean to be gentle, what does it mean to be meek? Meekness, and you've heard this definition before, is power under control, strength contained, power in and under submission. This is why you'll see these words in an interchangeable, humble or gentle or, or meek. They, they go together. The humble and the gentle and the meek person is a person who has self-control. A person who can rein in their tongue. A person who is able to step out of a situation just for a moment and think objectively rather than emotionally investing themselves and thinking only subjectively. Humble and gentle and meekness are having the ability to take a step back, to come under submission, to be under authority. In verse 3, we were told that blessed are those who, who are poor in spirit. Well, we talked about this, that this is spiritually speaking, the poor in spirit are those who are spiritually bankrupt. That means that they don't bring things to the table when it comes to Jesus. They, they come empty-handed. 
Poor in spirit is being spiritually bankrupt. There's a, in fact, there's a negative account. You, you don't bring things to Jesus and say, look how impressive I am and now love me. He says, I'm loving you at your very worst. I'm not loving you when you get your act together. I'm loving you at your worst. That's when I'm loving you. Praise be to God that he does that. We come and he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You're spiritually bankrupt. And then he says in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. And this mourning is more than just losing a job, more than just losing a loved one. It's mourning over your sin and the sins of others. It's mourning. So when someone says something that is rude to you and it's very unchristlike, and they have the pattern of saying things or having an attitude that is unchristlike, you don't get mad at them. You get sad for their soul and their sin because every word that speaks out of your mouth, you have to give an account to, to your heavenly father. So he says, blessed are those who mourn for that. They're the ones that actually be comforted. So how does this connect now to the humble? It's one thing for me to tell you this wonderful information that you're spiritually bankrupt and you ought to mourn over your sin and the sins of the world. It's a whole other thing for the Holy Spirit to convict you and you begin to realize that you are in that state. It humbles you. It takes off the edge of your angst when the Holy Spirit reveals to you, you. We, we're really good at concealing us. We're really good at playing a game, using terminology to get us by, Christianese as we might say it, using language of religious talk to convince others that we're better off than we really are. It's just pride masquerading in deception. But to respond with humility, to be a humble or gentle or meek person requires a better and truer view of yourself than you could ever possibly imagine. It requires you to be gut-level honest about you. And meekness means power under control. It means that you're submitting yourself. It means your power is discipline. The opposite of undisciplined power is out of control and chaos, or as we like to describe it, my, my dog, when he has something in his mouth that he shouldn't have, is chaotic. And we're trying to form tackle this thing, and he's, he's wiry, slippery. It's chaos. So let me illustrate this for a second. Most of us in this room were part of the, what we would call the rolling power outage. Some of us never rolled back on, but we were part of the rolling power outage. It, it felt like the Judge Roy scream at Six Flags, up and down and back around. And if you've ever ridden that ride, you've got to go to a chiropractor afterward because you're sore. Many of us never realized why we had fireplaces in Texas. We used them maybe once every other year because it got cold enough. But now we're all like, we want fireplaces in our houses. Fireplaces are a wonderful gift. They really are. Fire is powerful. And you, many of you had wood or maybe you had a gas 
a gas fireplace that you're able to turn on and, and use a furnace to some degree to stay warm. Some of you had that. But fire is a wonderful thing when it is disciplined. Fire is wonderful when it's contained. Fire is great when it's in the fireplace. Fire is bad when what? It's out of the fireplace. Let's say you're trying to stay warm and you build a fire in your living room. Bad. I'm no fireman, but I can tell it from a mile away. That's not a good idea. A fire in the middle of your living room is not a good idea. It's now going to be undisciplined, has no borders, has no margins, has no constraint, has no submission. And that fire is going to be everywhere. It's going to be chaos. Think about this. Meekness is strength under an authority. Strength under discipline. Undiscipline, lack of meekness, is fire raging, fire in chaos, fire undisciplined, fire everywhere. That's the contrast that I'm trying to give you in this illustration. The blessed person is the humble or gentle or meek person who is the fire that's disciplined, who's the fire that's contained, the fire that's in the fireplace. The proud person or the unblessed person is the proud person, the harsh person, the overbearing person. That's the person who's the fire in the living room. It's going to create chaos. Fire in the fireplace, joy. Fire outside of the fireplace, chaos. Jesus says that the blessed person is the meek person, the person who has the fire contained. Our culture might say the opposite. Our culture will tell us, and sometimes we tell ourselves, that those who are confident, which is sometimes a cover for pride, those that are vocal, loud, which can often be a cover for harshness, those who are always on top of things, which could be a cover for being overbearing, the culture will say those people win. But in the kingdom of God, he says those that win are those that are, have strength under an authority, strength under control. So let me, let me draw something out of the text that the text isn't directly saying, but I think is indirectly saying to us. I think here, Jesus is telling us that you and I have incredible power. I'm not talking about like supernatural, like you can make doors open without going to them and opening them. I, I, I'm talking about you, you have a, an incredible strength as a person. You have incredible power as a person. You just do. You say, well, I, 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 I don't believe you. In the text, Jesus doesn't distinguish between the weak person and the strong person. He just says, blessed is the meek person, the person who has power under an authority, power under control, power under submission, power discipline. I think Jesus is telling us that you have incredible power. I think he will extrapolate this through the letters of the different apostles throughout the rest of the Bible that you and I have power to do certain things that has to be under submission to him. 
I think Jesus is showing us that the humble, the gentle, the meek person is the person who has this incredible power that every human made in the image of God has and has it under submission to him. Those are the ones that are blessed. You are strong. You have power. You say, what kind of power? Pastor, tell me what kind of power I have. I want to know what kind of, this is the kind of sermon I've been waiting for. I have the power. Well, let me answer those questions. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Let me show you in the Bible where that says, Philippians 4, 8 says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there are any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. When you dwell on the opposite of these things, your life will go in that direction. Paul's saying in Philippians 4, you've got to be thinking about these things. Your strongest thoughts is the direction you're Life is going to go. This is why, there's something chemical that happens, but this is why when you drive by McDonald's, your taste buds begin to percolate a little bit for a French fry that you know will hurt you when you run those four miles later that evening, but you want that French fry. It's why when you drove up to McDonald's yesterday because you were just happy to be out of the house and you noticed that they don't have any sodas, you grieved a little bit inside because you're wanting soda other than boiled water. Whatever you're thinking about, you're going to be drifting towards that. It's why our minds shall be filled with truth. Scripture memory is a gift from above because when you don't have the book in front of your hand and you're perusing through whatever you're perusing through on your phone... You can meditate on whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is pray. But you got to have God's word in your heart and in your mind. How else are your power? What, what kind of power do you have? Oh, wait, you'll love this. Whew. Your words will bless or curse life. James 3, 9 says, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Your tongue, what you say, is, it's incredibly powerful. What you say makes impact on other people. Often it's not what's been done to me, but what's been said to me is what hurts the most. That's why we got to be careful what we say to people. And by the way, what you say to people comes from somewhere. It doesn't come from out there. It comes from in here. The monster's within. James tells us that your tongue has the ability to control and guide your entire body. It's like a rudder on a ship. It will just that little, little movement, and that whole ship goes a particular direction. Your tongue has, you have incredible power in your tongue. What you say matters. Is this not why? Oh, here it is. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God said speaking is so important what you say matters want me to say more about the tongue okay i will ephesians 4 
No foul language shall come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Your words can build somebody up or they can be a wrecking ball to tear them down. Your tongue has incredible power. You and you control your tongue. It slipped out of my mouth. No, it was in here before it was ever here. You can't blame that on the ice. Your words can build someone up and give grace to those who hear, or they will tear somebody else down and withhold grace from them. What kind of power do you have? Ha, you have tremendous power. Now watch this. There's more. Money. Money will control you or you will control your money. Matthew 6, 24 says this, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You make the decision on where your money goes. You realize that, right? No one's forcing you to buy those things. You have, you can push the button. Even when you go grocery shopping, things that you actually need, there's a, there's a, it's a, a green pill or a red pill. Cancel transaction or proceed. There, there was nobody pulling my string. I make the choice on those decisions. I have the power to spend money or not spend money. Now, you say, well, I'm in so much debt, I don't have the choice anymore. Yeah, but you made the decisions to get in that spot. And you can't wait for the government to bail you out on it when you're the one that made the decision to go in debt on it. Ouch or amen. When money is under control, it blesses. When your money is under control, it blesses others. This is a small commercial. Did you know that our church every month spends $36,000 on debt alone? Let that sit for a second. $377,000, $317,000 a year could be used differently, but we have obligated ourselves to some debt. My hope is that in the summer, we might tackle some of that debt and get rid of that weight that hinders us from doing the ministry that God has called us to. Now, I'm grateful for what we have. I'm grateful we can meet in a place that stayed warm. That even though it lost some water, we got water back. I'm grateful for that. I'm not questioning those decisions. I'm just saying, these are the facts. If every family giving unit in our church gave $109 more a month, did you realize that we'd pay an entire year's worth of debt service in addition? If every family giving unit gave $109 more a month, that's for my family, that's two times at McDonald's, one time at Whataburger, all right? <laughs> if we didn't do that, in one year, we'd pay an extra payment. It's amazing. Okay. Money will control you or you will be controlled by money. See, when I get out of debt, I'm able to save, but I'm also able to be really generous 
Church plant, yeah, here's money. Missionary, yeah, we got, the, we got the cash flow. Here we go. Let's go plant more churches. Let's send more missionaries. Let's do more ministries around here. Come on, let's go. But when we have debt, we cannot do that because we're restrained. Blessed are those who are meek, power under authority, power under control. I tithe because it reminds me that I don't control, I mean, I, I, that I have some control, but, but my tithe, it reminds me that I'm not the owner of all these funds. God has blessed me with them, and so I give to the Lord joyfully. I work hard to get out of debt because then I'm more free to be more generous with those around me, and I'm not worried about how I'm going to pay my bills because, I look, I don't have any bills other than my house. Here we go. How am I powerful? One more, because I think I hammered the money enough, and I don't want you to walk out of here, all you ever talks about is money. I'm about to talk about your emotions. Your emotions will either create waves or calm the sea. Look at what Proverbs says. Don't you love the book of Proverbs? A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. My favorite. Proverbs 25, 28, a person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. Your emotions and your feelings are really incredible. Emotion allows you to feel things for others that you just normally wouldn't if, if you didn't care. They allow you to connect. Like when someone's grieving through something, it just allows you to connect with other people, which is really important. But your emotions, when not under authority, your emotions, when they're not under submission, your emotions, when they're not disciplined, are like that fire in the middle of the living room. And this is why it's good to have godly people around you in your life who can look you in the eye and go, the way you're reacting is with emotion and you need to stop. A lot has happened this past week. There are things that some of us got happy about. And in this moment that you were happy, you could also be sad because you got happy because you had power, but you looked across the street and they didn't have power and it didn't make any sense to you. You got water, but they didn't get water. They got water, you didn't get water. And then you let everybody know about it. <laughs> Just because you feel happy about something doesn't mean you should. Just because you're angry about something doesn't mean you should. Just because you're offended about something doesn't mean you should be offended. The Bible says that the heart is at the center of your emotions. And what comes out of your mouth eventually has been there the whole time. And only when your feelings are disciplined in the fireplace, only when your emotions are under an authority, will you find blessing. You have tremendous power, you have tremendous authority, you have tremendous strength, and try as you may. Some of you have been trying on your own strength for a very long time. You just haven't given up yet. You've been trying on your own strength for a very long time. 
You've never come to the place where you recognize your poor in spirit, never came to the place where you recognize your mourning, and you've been trying to do it on your own. And God is saying to you today, the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, give up. Be humble. Some of you have known Christ for a long time, but there are areas in your heart, areas in your heart home that you have not given up to him. And he says, do you want to be blessed? You need to be humble enough to go, Lord, search my heart. You know me. If there's anything in here that is not of you, Lord, convict me of it so that I can confess my sin. Because when I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness. And there are sins that I'm not even aware of that I think are creating a barrier between me and other people, a barrier between me and you. And it grieves my heart, mourning. And I'm, I want to be humble. I want to be meek and say, Lord, what, is there something in me that is not of you? Lord, take it because I know you'll forgive me. So when it comes to your direction of your life, your words, your money, your emotions, when they're calibrated to the truth, you'll be happy. <laughs> when I invite Jesus into every arena of my life, that firewood gets put into the fireplace and it brings joy to those around me. But we got to deal with the second question. You thought I was landing the plane. I came back up, rolling, rolling. We got to talk about inheriting the earth because I was pretty negative about it early on. But Genesis 2 should be what you're thinking. God creates everything. Oh, it's glorious. It's good. The Garden of Eden was God's perfect paradise on earth. There was no other place we should want to be. Uh, that was the, the place. Adam and Eve were there. God comes to Adam and Eve and says, you can have of everything except for this one tree. And yet they wanted that one tree. They had incredible power. All you have to do is not eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm imploring you not to eat of that tree, Adam and Eve. And you say, well, I would have never done it. Mm-hmm. The reason why they shouldn't have eaten it was because they needed to know who the authority was. And they punted. They sin and they are cast out of that garden, that perfect paradise, the original earth. And now they're wondering, we fast forward to a moment where the new promised land is given and God says to them, look, if you obey my commands, you do what I've asked you to do, you submit to my authority, you'll be blessed. And you'll be so blessed that you'll bless all the other nations. Be blessed. Just follow my commands. Do what I've instructed you to do, and you will be blessed. And what did they do? They punted. They rejected his authority. Sure enough, it's only a matter of time before we get to our situation. And now we live on this side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There is a real and literal heaven. I received a text yesterday. I'm sorry that you've had to deal with all this stuff in your first year at Rock Hill. I said, year? Been a decade? I don't know. But I, I, I'll show you the text. There's no other place I'd rather be than heaven than right here. 
Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they the kingdom, have the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's a real and literal place that we go when we die and we meet our Savior face to face. But there are realities today about the kingdom of heaven that you get to experience. And the more you surrender your heart to him, the more the kingdom of heaven will be made known to you now. Blessed are the humble. They will inherit the earth. The more you surrender your life, the more you're willing to give him access to the crevices of your life, the more you give him control, the more you give up and just submit to his authority, the more the kingdom of heaven you begin to realize all around you. You'll begin to see people and see them the way Jesus sees them rather than an obstacle from your path to get where you need to go. You begin to see people desperate and hungry and needy for truth, for freedom, for release from sin and the entanglements of death. The deeper into the kingdom of heaven you will be put into and this side of heaven you will experience a peace that far surpasses any type of peace that's being sold to you on the street corners. And if you're a Christian today, verse 5 is calling you back. Come on back. Some of the coals of the fire have been missing from the church body for far too long. It is time to come back. I get it. Some of you are sick and are in, 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 immune. Uh, I mean, I get it. I can't even use words. I don't have power over my tongue. But I can tell you, after this week, the thing that I needed the most was to be with the body of Christ. For me to come in this morning and not want to preach. Because the enemy's tactics have ramped up in isolation. And for me to stand there and listen to my bride sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise his name forever. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Fireplace under authority to the king. They're the ones. They're the ones that find rest. Will you pray with me? Father, we come. There are some in this room that have never confessed Jesus as Lord. Today, Lord, they need to come and say, I, I've got to humble myself. I've been too prideful to come forward and say, I need somebody to pray for me. Oh, Lord, we need you. When I say we, I don't, I'm not saying all those out there somewhere. I'm, I'm saying I need Jesus today. And so, Father, this promise you gave us that we'd inherit the earth, <laughs> it tells us who really owns the earth. And God, that you have a great design. You're going to return one day. And those that are delaying the decision, one day they won't be able to delay because you'll be here. And all will have to give an account. 
Lord, for those that are at home that just are lonely and need prayer, would they just be so bold just to reach out, for us to reach out to them? It's hard to know who's in need when they don't tell us that they're in need. May they not be invisible behind a screen. May we not be invisible in person either. But help us, Lord, to lean in on you today. In Jesus' name.